This is the Wedding Strength Podcast brought to you by WeddingStrength.com and WeddingStrengthMedia.com. For custom equipment, apparel, personal training, and seminar information, visit WeddingStrength.com. To purchase any of Matt's training manuals or digital seminars and video training guides, visit WeddingStrengthMedia.com. Similar to me is like I didn't really even realize it was a thing. Like all my family coal miners and steel workers they all lift weights yeah so but no one ever thought it could be a job yeah. right so it's always a hobby yeah it's a hobby and they're coming home after 15 hour shifts and they're steel toes and benching you know 315 or whatever i mean my stepdad i'd watch him work like 15 hours and yeah. then be in the basement just you know i'm racking 300 with his feet in the air and just like getting yeah. at the end of shift and i was like and those blue collar guys understand the, the value of strength like you got to oh. be strong to do those jobs you're not gonna last absolutely and just understanding that that could be a job one day. I mean, I, the only guy that I knew that owned the gym locally, he still had another job. Yeah, yeah. So it never yeah, became like a real thing, especially mm-hmm. where I, in the stupid area I'm from. It's like, yeah. I was just like, man, this could be possible. We'll go ahead and start the intro and we'll rock you, it. You guys have already started the podcast. Oh, have <laughs> you guys already going? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, welcome once again to the Winning Strength Podcast from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, in the studio today, we have Corey Gregory. And uh, take it away, Matt. Yeah. So, I mean, I knew we knew of each other for a long time, but it's crazy that we've lived in the same city for forever. <laughs> yeah, and finally now just getting to get to do stuff, you know, yeah. do stuff together and get to see a facility. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me, yeah, man. I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah. So what I wanted to do was kind of go over your background because it shares a lot of similarities, absolutely, to my background. So tell us what you did right out of high school. Yeah. So uh, once I got out of high school. Before I started coal mining, I actually stacked lumber. So I got a job at a sawmill that a lot of my friends and parents were at. And and I was I was going to this community college from 8 to 12, hating every second of it because I didn't know what I wanted to do except for I knew I liked to lift weights. That was about it. And no one had a job for me at that point. And then I stacked lumber from 1 to 10. And I was in that cycle for a little while. And then what started happening was I started skipping the class to go train. So then I would go to my job. And my stepdad had, uh, my mom had just remarried uh, like about a year before that. He said, you know what, man? He goes, I see you doing that, but I was making like seven, eight bucks an hour. He's like, you interested in coal mining? He had been a coal miner since he was like 18 years old. And what part of the country is this in? So this is in like the Caddis, Ohio is where the mine is, which is in like, you know, only about an hour from Pittsburgh, right on that borderline. So East, East Ohio. East Ohio. And so, you know, my, my, my stepdad, my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather, it's a four four generation thing. And so I was like, how much is the starting pay? And he was like, it's 14 bucks an hour. It's $21. Almost double. Yeah, double, $21 an hour overtime. And he'll never say no because we have so much work. Wow. Especially for, you know, a pretty strong kid that, you know, uh, is willing to do as much as, mm-hmm. as, as offered. And, dude, I was logging between 80 and 90. My top one was 93 hours on a pay. And when I say that, people go, Oh, every two weeks. I'm like, no, motherfuckers, a week. A week. So I was stacking for six months. I was stacking paychecks because I literally wasn't even around when the bank was open. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. I was telling the guys at the gym. It was hard for you to even get to the bank to cash your checks. Uh, all I did was fucking work out and, and fucking work. And that's all I cared about because I was like, I need to get out of here. I need to save this money so I can go try to live my dream as a personal trainer, gym owner. Yeah. And I remember like going to see my, my, so my wife now, my girlfriend at the time. I came out of quitting time one day, Matt, it was like four o'clock, which was really weird. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to drive to Cleveland. My eyes were watering so bad. I hadn't seen the fucking sunlight 
in like three weeks. Wow. Literally. Yeah. I would be on the cage at five, which yeah. is the, the elevator to go 600 feet underground. I would work, you know, doubles. I'd come out at nine, 10 o'clock. Wow. And fucking, dude, I hadn't saw the sunlight. It's so, it's so, <laughs> cra- it's so crazy how similar we are because when I graduated high school, I didn't do well in high school and I got pushed into vocationals. But my family is all welders. So I, I love working with steel. Sure. And I love welding. And I already knew how to weld, but I didn't have a cert. So the first thing I did was I feel I, I realized that Purdue University was having a welding certificate class at Ball State. And it was a one-semester thing, so Perfect. it was 15 weeks. So I ended up getting my certification and then got hired on at the hospital as a welder um, and then and maintenance. Gotcha. So what ended up happening was, why this is similar... Is that the first thing they wanted to do is they wanted they had a ton of old steam lines that were connected in the old buildings, okay. and they wanted them all cut out, and they were all under the tunnels. So from about five in the morning till yeah, five or six at night, we were under there cutting out all of these old chill water lines and steam lines That's cool. to make room for the new. This is when computers started to get big sure. for all the new computer lines, uh, okay. right? So we were underground, not four hundred feet, yeah. But I was the same way. I remember on some weekends we would have off. I get out. And see the sunlight. It's like Dracula. It must fucking kill you. <laughs> yeah. And then you're used to being in, you know, having a t-shirt on and, and shorts felt like another yeah. universe. And, um, but what the point was on all that is in the first six months that I did that work, there was so much to cut out and so much to do that you could work as much as you wanted. So in six months, I saved up enough to pay for four years of college. Yeah, it's unbelievable. The opportunity, and my stepdad's actually getting ready to retire in five weeks. Mm-hmm. So he's been there, I mean, just a long time. Yeah, man, a long time. And so I'm super I'm super proud, like pumped that he's about to, about to retire. But I'm always so thankful for the opportunity because I don't know that I would know a mass enough money. Yep. And, my, and my family couldn't, I mean, I grew up in a trailer. The the rent was 150 bucks a month. So, mm-hmm. like, they, there's no way they could help me yep. to, to come up here and move away yep. and those type of things. So, like... I'm just real blessed I had the opportunity and I took every advantage of every overnight shift. And I would get to this point, like when I would start to like run in the stuff or like basically like I was so like, you know, I was so tired that it was time to go home. So I hurt myself. Yeah. I would work basically to that point. I just knew so, if I could just get my so brain like that. Yeah. We've heard similar stories from other guests like Kaz. <laughs> Kaz talked about being abused in the woods. And, uh, <laughs> uh, a whole other story. Um, I'm not sure where you're going. Though, yeah, no, 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 no. So here's my question because, I mean, both of you bring this up. Where did that work ethic come from? Because I, I think the, it's being important for listeners because he carried it through. He, him, and me, and I can speak for myself, not mm-hmm. as you, you don't realize there's another fucking choice. Thank it's you. not that there's we're just better than everybody see. else. You just mm-hmm. And you're always looking for the next thing to get you better. And that's where I think people get fucked up is they find something that they like or they have to deal with, say, like a coal mining job, but they're never looking for the next step up. Like for him, he was working that, like he's talking about, saving his money and looking for a place to move to get better at what he really wanted to do. Yeah. I think it I'll all starts with passion. Out of it. it yeah. all starts with passion. Yeah. Your passion was in weights. Mine were in weights. It was like, um, I think I saw it from my grandfather, from my, from my stepdad from everybody kind of around me, this is just what they did. So like, that's the norm, right? That, you know, they get up early, they come home late. Um, And so when I was like, all right, but I think what you actually, when I actually went to the job with my stepdad and actually watched how he worked and sometimes I was able to work alongside him and other times I had different bosses, whatever it was, I just got to see like, all right, he's doubling on his last day of the pay. Like he had the whole strategy to how he's made really good money. And um, because he kind of came later in my life, you know, that was kind of part of us, even though he's a weightlifter too, just kind of understanding that whole thing. And I was like, man, this is 
if I just apply this to what I like, one, and no one's going to have this story. When I moved to the city, motherfuckers are going to have this story. Mm-hmm. I knew I was going to be completely different than everyone else. And I've always understood marketing and storylines, and I got better at as social media came up. But I understood, like, that's going to make me so different than everyone. Mm-hmm. And they have to respect it. How could you fucking not? Yeah. yeah. Not, <laughs> only, not only that, but as far as that goes, you're probably the most successful person in the city. I mean, as far as I don't know about that, but for marketing and stuff, yeah. I I mean, I like there's other guys that do that kind of shit, but I'm telling you, if you go to another country or another state, everybody knows you. You know what I mean? That's that's a a big that's a big respect thing as far as how you've been able to push yourself and make these different businesses, and I think that's really badass. You know. I mean, but, it's really because I don't like to do anything else. Yeah, I know. I mean, people thought it's, I was fucked. There's no choice. <laughs> so he knew he wanted to get that good at that stuff. I had the powerlifting and all that other. But the thing of it is, is you never look at it as you have options. You only know you want to be at the top, and you're going to do whatever it takes to get there. Yeah. I just you always know? used to – I used to – the people thought it was crazy. I used to say these things. Like, I'd be in that trailer, man. I'd just be like, I'm just better than this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just – I'm, I'm meant to do big things. I, I'm willing settling. to sacrifice. I'm yep. not going to settle for it. Yep. And I ascended to a, a level that I could never even have yep. dreamed of. Man. I never knew how poor we grew up until I got older. Yeah, I never know. knew how hard my mom had to work. Well, until my you're around other people. 13. Yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, my dad, right when he died, my mom was a nurse practitioner. But she was making – he was making more money than her. But then my sister – was born with a congenital heart defect where her heart's backwards. Oh, wow. Right? And she's the oldest living person that they know of with this heart. She's still alive. Yeah, she's still alive at 35. <sighs> but, I mean, that made my mom, like, oh. financially destroyed. Of course. Because she had already had three open heart surgeries by the time she was 12. I mean, you're talking, that's 150, oh, 200 yeah. grand every time they crack you open. Yeah. So, I never realized when I was younger how much my mom had to budget. Mm-hmm. And I watched her get her ass up super early, run an entire surgical unit, and then come home super late. You know, but the like, answer you saw it. You yeah, saw you, her work I saw all the work ethic. Yeah. Right. And I think you that's know? how it's learned. That's why, like, with my kids, even though their experience of life is way different than mine, but they still see that dad's a fucking maniac workaholic. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just what it is. I mean, but, you don't have to get up at four a.m. No. and train, but you do. Oh, and that's probably it. the coal miner badass. Dude, you. I fucking love it because here's what I love about that, and you know how it is. You've had not to cut you off, but no. you're the only other person I know that does, the only other person I know that does that's Michael Hearn. Yeah, and I beat him because I'm on the East Coast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell his ass that he too. wins. <laughs> Michael Hearn, you're a bitch. <laughs> so I think it's like he always says, "Like, yeah, I see your shit whenever I wake up." Uh-huh, yep. But I think what, what I like to so my original crew was at five. Yep. And I had like five guys that were serious. When I moved it to four, it changed everything. One, it weeds out every motherfucker that ain't serious. Yep. Because you can't have half your foot in the bar and half your foot in the gym. No. And um, you got to be in bed by eight or nine o'clock to have a great day. You have to be in bed by nine to ten at the latest. Yep. And and basically, it went from five people to like twenty. Wow. And I have guys like right now. I've got. Two of my main 165s, one's driving from Marysville and one's driving from Dayton every mm-hmm. day. Similar to like how yeah. they used to do that shit at Westside, yeah. right? I mean, I drove from Indiana to go lift at Louie's place in 99 to 04, and it was a two-and-a-half-hour drive to squat yeah. with a bunch of dudes that wanted to kill you. Yeah, yeah, And then literally. drive back home and go, why the fuck did I do this <laughs> yeah. for like four years, you know? It's, but, I mean, but that's part of – so I've got now, I would say, I really believe that our 14 or 15 main guys yeah. – um, and we do all the drug testing meets. Mm-hmm. I really think I have the strongest team that I'm aware of top mm-hmm. to bottom and the numbers that will show in sanctioned meets this year. I, I can't wait to see yeah. it because my 181 just pulled 650 raw. 
I got a 220 that, that walked out 635. Mm-hmm. I just had one, my 165 just squatted 405 front squat, uh, no wraps, 440 this morning. 12 guys at front squatting over 405. A bunch of guys hitting the lead. Like, dude, I'm super proud of it. Yeah. And these guys, some of these guys are walking in the gym. You could barely back squat through 15, bro. Mm-hmm. And that, that's it's not, like you, it's not like you were hand selected. No, like we were. dude. They, well, yeah. and it, you know, we're really building our lifters. And that's why I've done a lot of gym meets these guys have competed in. We have a great atmosphere that's fucking pretty wild. And and it's very similar to the, the atmosphere I've seen at Westside, mm-hmm. just in a different manner. But, dude, yeah. I, the, the reason why I like Tony Ramos and George Halbert and all these guys I learned from, they're fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. And I've never been wired right either. So yeah. it's like and they I got that switch. It. I think they got that switch where yeah. they can be some of the most mellow, calm people you ever see. But as soon as they hit the door of that gym, fucking it's like it. just turned into fucking animals. And like these guys see that. And I think they were even talking to my... You know, my uh, my training partner Rob was talking to the intern about how I have a switch. Of course, you have come to be the most mellow guy in the world. Then I'll put fucking seven hundred on a squat bar, and I just turn into a fucking animal. Dude, I've made hundred pound jumps and fucking meets and shit before, and the guys I train with like, what the? I'm like, dude, I just just fucking loaded up. That's why I came. Mm-hmm. Like, I that's why I haven't t- and I haven't talked to the, my daughter about that. She's in gymnastics. She's actually competing in Indiana um, in French Lake. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, which is a six hour drive or something. That's far. And I talked to her about. Like, we show up. Like, it's a family thing. It's not just, like, a thing. Like, you prepare and you you elevate when it's time. Because mm-hmm. motherfuckers, they back down. Mm-hmm. Not me. Like, I show the fuck up. And, yeah. I, and I pride myself on that. Whether it's I'm trying to get Arnold as my business partner. Whether I've got to take a fucking PR on the platform. Yep. And I got a lot of that from Ramos. He's like, look, motherfucker. when no one, They're doubting you because of what you do. Yeah. Show these motherfuckers what just they came to up. see today. Yeah, 100%. And so that mentality I take in business and in the weight room and... And, and I've always had it. Yeah, and I think that's that. the biggest thing is I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I learned about life from lifting was that it's what you bring to the table. Yeah, dude. You know, and if you have adversity and you have, like, hesitation, that's half the reason most people are not successful. Dude, guys beat me in the gym constantly and in the crew. And then when it comes to me, they, they know they've got to fucking bring it. Yeah. I'm going to pull a 50 <laughs> out of my ass. Uh-huh. Like, I do yeah, it all yeah, the time. The level. Yeah. You have that other, that other switch that just sometimes you don't even know if you can train it. I think you either just have it or you don't. I think you can um, – yeah, I, I think that's part of it. I think it's learned a little bit. Like, I think it's part of confidence. Mm-hmm. I think there's a confidence that my daily habits, man, that have been, I've been doing this for so many years, they're all based around building confidence. Yep. Confidence in my in, in my business, confidence in myself, confidence in the gym stuff. Like, it's yep. all based around that. So I just rely on that whenever mm-hmm. I count on me. Yeah, I had a I had somebody message me maybe a couple of weeks ago and just stood out. was Somebody asked me what was the difference between squatting 1,000 and squatting 1,200 since I was one of the lightest guys to do it. And uh, I said nothing. I said two and a half more years of training because yeah. it all sucks after that point. Yeah, it's There's all brutal. Thousand feels yeah. heavy. Twelve hundred feels heavy. It all yeah. feels heavy. It's just what are you going to bring to the table to sure. do it? And I think that is the biggest. My, they think there's some trick to like getting better at a certain level. And it, the thing of it is, is what position you're at right now. It's all about just keeping trying to climb up a mountain. Yeah. Whether it's diet. Or business or strength it doesn't, it doesn't matter still pushing the limits and, and yeah. being confident about it and that's why I love lifting so much and, and I think that's the other thing is like no matter what's happened to me business wise yeah I'm walking into a 1970s style gym mm-hmm. just as you are and I'm not the strongest guy every day mm-hmm. and and I'm coaching and and lifting still and it's like it, you get humbled mm-hmm. by the weights and the iron never fucking that, lies that's bro. probably been the most taxing or physically emotionally hard things about Myself is that you know once you get up to world record status, 
it's it's an almost nearly impossible to find training partners that are better than you. I haven't hit that, so I'm not yeah. sure. But, but I, I understand but, that. But, get, but my point is, is I remember coming up through the ranks, sure. it was easier trying to chase Chuck. Oh, it was easier absolutely. trying to chase John Stafford and all these yeah. guys. When I got to the point where I was one of the top guys, you're getting chased. now you're trying to stay on top and it's coming all from inside. Yeah. There is no external environment that's going to make you better because... If you're looking for people that are stronger than you, you're talking five, maybe six people in the world. In the world. <laughs> and, like, and they all live different places. Yeah. There's no way you can train together. Well, that's yeah. one of the reasons you brought me in. Right. <laughs> right. So that's true. I mean, that's, that's, you think about that, and that's, that's why I kind of like being, I'm, you know, most of the guys, I'm, I'm 40, there's another guy that's 50, everyone else is 25 or under. Mm-hmm. I love that because yeah. it makes me like Stay fucking younger. chase. Chase these guys. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one thing people want to know is, and like I said, you're pretty famous for is, how do you stay? How do you stay lean all year round? I think people. I've gotten to the point where I've been dieting for 13 months, and I'm starting to yeah. get pretty, pretty leaned out for being 260. But I've always known you as the guy that just stays shredded all year round. So I've done some like I went up and down a few times over the last probably. So funny when I originally went to West Side, I would go on Wednesdays and Fridays with Tim for a while. Mm-hmm. Fuck, I end up weighing like. Damn near 240. Yeah. And Amy was still calling yeah. me the lean guy. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh. <laughs> and so um, that's the heaviest I'd ever been. And, dude, I had, like, cottage cheese, cheese like, cellulite. Like, I'm not supposed to be that big. Yeah. Just straight up. Um, I died it back down when Muscle Farm started getting popular. This was that, what year? This would be, like, 2010. Okay. I was okay. nine. So, yeah. Yeah, 10. so nine or ten. I started. I, I went down pretty lean, and I started hitting some of the magazine stuff, and I started putting my foot on the gas because I knew that was going to be real popular for my business. I still competed in powerlifting, but that was kind of like where I really right. put a lot of time in. Yeah. And then I've been as heavy. I was two fifteen about a year ago because I went and did like three geared meets. Okay. Um, and I squatted seven ten. I squatted seven hundred. I, I, I did pretty good, but at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? My business just does better when I'm leaner. It's just what it is. Yeah. And, and, and so I made a decision to be like, have more better guidelines for yeah. myself. And I, and I got to tell you, which, the numbers are all yeah, showing Which it. super sucks because, you know, at the end of the day, there's so many guys that don't really know how to dial in diet or sometimes the bloating and the inflammation actually does make you stronger. Oh, it absolutely makes but, you stronger. <laughs> you know, the average person, you know, like, you know, 75% of the people that train, it's aesthetics. Yeah. They want the aesthetics. It is. But in reality... The guys that put in the hard work that might look a little fluffy, all they got to do is change their diet. They're going to have Just 10 times the muscle that you do. Yeah, yeah. And that's what people don't understand. They see these guys in magazines like, oh, look what he did in 60 days. I'm like, he already had base muscle. Yeah. You know, I had the hard up and down helped. Yeah. You know, because I was just eating and lifting. So there's no doubt that that helped. I think that, you know, one of the things that I devised, and it's really from working with Dr. Serrano yeah. and Mario DePasquale. And Which is funny, we have all the same mentors. Dude, I mean, being in this hotbed, when I moved to Columbus, I had no clue. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. It's funny because when I came up here, the only thing I knew about Westside Barbell was when I was 17 years old, I did a meet in the, at a place called the Fitness Pavilion. Uh-huh. And it was in that trailer park in Wintersville, Ohio. I don't know if you ever went to any of those meets with those guys, but it was the day Louis benched 600 on his 50th birthday. I was there. I remember that. So he did it in a denim. That had been what, like 05? Man, no, 06. we're talking like 98. Oh, that so was maybe, way So it was way before you. Yeah. So we're talking when Louis, no, Louis, tur- maybe it was when he turned 50. Yeah. Probably when he turned 50. Yeah, because so I remember like, he squatted, I remember when he squatted 900 when he was 55. And that yeah. was like a. So, so I saw it. Um, I just remember I was in this gym. It was my second competition of my ever. So I'm like, yeah, maybe 18 years old. Yeah. And all these big motherfuckers roll in. Louis brings his own fucking bar, yeah. of course. Right. And um, and I don't even know what I'm witnessing. 
Uh-huh. He fucking, you know, benches 600, jumps up, and it's Tim or Chuck or one of these guys. And I'm just like, where the fuck this biker gang come from? Yeah. Who the fuck are all these strong guys? Uh-huh. And that was my first kind of, like, understanding of, like, okay. And then when I moved here and started to understand, like, the Arnold Classic's here, Westside's here. Shit, this is where I yeah. and, But and I didn't do that. Old school bodybuilder, uh, Francois was here. Yeah, Mike Francois was hot right at that time. Yeah. He won. The, he had just won the Arnold. So I didn't realize, and Mike Davies, I kind of knew of from yeah. paying attention to the NPC. I didn't realize what I was really walking into. Yeah. It, it really wasn't by design. No. I went to the, um, my wife had a friend that worked on campus, and he said, hey, I know your, uh, your boyfriend's in the bodybuilding. He goes, I'm friends with the people that run the Arnold Classic. Do you think you'd want to sell programs? So I'm like, she tells me, I'm like, hell yeah. Like, and I got like a VIP mm-hmm. pass. So 1999, 2000, I'm selling programs at the Arnold, bro. Right, right. I mean, you fast forward to 2010, I'm the biggest sponsor they got. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was a wild fucking right. ride. That's dude. a big 10 years. Dude. That's just totally crazy. <laughs> and I mean, I'm standing by Arnold handing the trophy to the to Dennis Wolf. Like, yeah, I'm crazy. like, what the fuck is going on? I know, that would be a fucking mind blow. <laughs> it, was yeah. a, it was a mind blow. And, and as his business partner. I yeah, mean, it yeah. was... It was a wild, it was a wild ride, but it was so cool, and I didn't realize how big Columbus. I mean, it was just it was massive yeah. for me, man. And what's weird is it all started from uh, from Lorimer. Yeah. You know, Lorimer brought. I don't know a lot of people know this, and maybe you can, uh, since you're more friends with him than yeah. I am. Um, my my whole thought pattern was is that Lorimer brought helped bring Arnold to America, mm-hmm. and Arnold already remembered that for him, and that's why the Arnold Classic started here. But do you know anything? Yeah, about yeah. That? So what Arnold told me and Lorimer both said was. Basically, Arnold came here in 74 for the Mr. Olympia. Yep. I have the, I actually have one of the vintage t-shirts. That's badass. And he said that Lorimer ran the show so well that he was just blown away. Yeah. And he came to um, Jim and said, when I retire, we're going to run shows together. And, and, he, and Jim was like, okay, cool, right? Mm-hmm. So now, give everybody some background. Lorimer owned all the world gyms, so right? Lorimer owned all the world what? gyms. And Lorimer's biggest thing that he a lot of people don't know is he was responsible for helping women's uh, like uh, track in the Olympics. Like okay. he had a passion for women's sports, which is really interesting. And I didn't know that until I got to know him a little bit. He told me the whole story when I went to his office. And so he's just been in sports. That's why it became a sports festival because it wasn't just bodybuilding. Yeah. He had a lot of impact in a lot of different sports. And what Arnold always said is to this day, I mean, they do like, that thing does bazillions of dollars. Oh yeah. Bro. They still have a handshake deal. Mm-hmm. They don't have a contract. Yeah, there's no contract. There's no contract. And he still stays at his house when he's here, correct? I mean, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. their friendship made on Arnold saying in 1974, whenever I'm retired, we're going to run a show together. And then he That's said, it. Arnold retired and literally came here a week later and had lunch with him and said, and this was years later, and said, okay, when, when do we start? would have been like, what, 82? Yeah, something like that. He's like, so when, when, do we start, when do we start the first show? And he was like dead serious about it yeah. so it's it's wild and that's what i love about arnold is man the way that he operates is is, is really og on your world yeah, tight stuff. circle yeah man it's and really, that's how it should be yeah it's cool. too bad you can't run business like that all the time i know right you know so nice. arnold, so arnold started that here because of Lorimer. yeah so give us some um you've, you've done business partners with him and stuff give us some insight on um how he got that to evolve to such a big show like yeah. i mean obviously he was popular but i remember going to the arnold in 98 and it's not nearly what it is now how did that evolve to be in such a big show it's just like anything with arnold right when this is what i love about dealing with him is you deal with arnold and you realize there is no ceiling bro like mm-hmm. i'm talking like you know even as cool as i think i'm getting or i i, I there's no ceiling to my business 
there is a cat, like it does not exist for this guy. Mm -hmm. And so I remember him saying, um, yeah, we're going to be the, the biggest, you know, show yep. on the planet, which happened yeah. fitness wise. It's the Super Well, I mean, Bowl. if you win, the, if you win the Arnold Classic in the Strongman, well, yeah. back to when the WPO was around the powerlifting sure. and then bodybuilding, that's better than all the other. Of course. I mean, it's the top. And not, not just the amount of people coming. Like, as an event is the biggest. It's the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. And he says, now we're going to do it on every continent. Yeah, which is insane. And that's what he did. Madrid, Melbourne. Australia. Uh, uh, Asia. I mean, it's everywhere, right? I know. And, but when you deal with him, like, the, I'm around him two or three times a year for a decent amount of time. I go to his house for, like, Christmas. I go, like, I yeah. get to do some cool shit. Yeah. And it's like, I always come away with thinking. You need to step your shit up. Every time. Man. Every time. And I remember the first time uh, I was in, uh, we had done the deal with him and we were working on a supplement line and I was in town shooting some content with him. And he was like, um, this is like probably like seven or eight years ago. He's like, hey, he's like, I'm having my Christmas party tonight. You should come up to the house. I'm like, all right, sweet. I mean, I'd never been invited to his house before. You know, we just yep. started working together. So I go up there and um, I'm just sitting around and you got, I mean, the best. James oh. Cameron, Stallone. I mean, it's Top. everybody, right? And I'm sitting on the back porch. I don't know anybody except for him, and he's doing his thing. And I started talking to the cigar guy. They got the guy there's rolling cigars. So mm -hmm. I'm just there smoking cigars, sitting on the back porch. I'm thinking, how the fuck did this happen? Yeah, I mean, you're just like in a completely different stratosphere. Dude. That's kind of like when I went to O'Hearn's 50th birthday party about a month ago. Oh, it was a everyone was there. Yeah, and I'm sitting there <laughs> talking with C.T. Fletcher, which I never met him amazing. in person, but he's amazing. Yeah. But there's this guy sitting there. He's just salt and pepper hair. He's, he looks like he works out, but he's not, a you know. He's not huge. Not a muscle head. Like he's not a muscle that. head. And he's like, hey, you're the guy that uh, O'Hearn's going to get that belt squat from, right? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, that's great. I trained at his house and whatever. And you don't realize that this dude's worth like $700 million. Yeah, dude. He owns the place they're having the party at. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, we're running that belt squat machine. You'll, <laughs> you'll love it. And I just walk away going, holy that, fuck. That's the difference of yeah, that LA stuff. Like I was, I'd be talking to people at Arnold's and they're like, yeah, I'm so-and-so Kennedy. I'm doing this. I'm like... Yeah, it's like, it literally is a different strategy. Oh, God. What, I, what I enjoy is being able to dip into that yeah. and witness it. I don't really obviously yeah. live in it, but having that kind of opportunity yeah. and really just to learn from a guy that, dude, I never, never thought I'd even meet. No, and the straight. average person's never really going to meet, you know? And what was so funny is when I went to train with Golds, at, you know, I go train with, at Golds with Mike maybe twice a year if I'm lucky. Yeah, it's fun. And the last time I was there, Arnold was actually there and he rides his bicycle to the gym. <laughs> so good. He sets his bike on the tree that he planted 25 <laughs> years ago so and doesn't lock it. And he's got probably a, I don't know, $5,000 <laughs> bike. bike yeah. And he just lays it up against the tree and walks in. Nobody touches his shit. He's well, a I'm G, going, bro. Yeah, I'm going in there and like, I just, you know, talk to him for a second and whatever and trying to act like a fanboy. Yeah. And I, uh, I give him a couple of my MW shirts and I'm training with O'Hearn and there's a skinny guy that doesn't look like he's supposed to fit in with us, right? Like he just can't lift with us at all. And Mike's yeah. laughing at him and talking shit. He's a dude that invented Siri. <laughs> and I was that, like, what? I mean, dude, going out there is just a whole nother level. If, especially if you got the right, like with Arnold with you, you got the right in, in, yeah. intake and to I it. And I train with Mike when I go out too. It's oh, a blast. he's a fucking awesome man. No, it, it's a, uh, I just feel super blessed, man, because to learn from guys that um, have applied powerlifting like any of the anybody that's even touched west side for mm -hmm. a period of time and louie and then to learn stuff about business and bodybuilding from a guy like arnold bro uh, i honestly think i'm one of the only people that can say that yeah to be you straight, are you are which is kind of sure. wild it's totally insane <laughs> totally insane so i know you do the max effort muscle stuff now you mm -hmm. switched over from the muscle farm yep um did you just sell the business outright and then get out of it and then yeah. start something else new? How did so, that work out? Long story short was basically Muscle Farm had ascended to a pretty big company. And what happened was is anytime you start to get 
that big, stuff changes. Mm -hmm. And as you, I think, have probably caught from me at this point is like, I'm like, you know, more of like a person to person, grimy. Grassroots. I'm a grassroots dude. And so the things that were happening in that company as it got bigger, five or six executives, uh, the way my business partner was acting, it just really didn't line yeah. up with my stuff. And there's, there's been, there was some stuff that went some. That's got to be really hard because you don't get to talk to a lot of people that has developed something from nothing, Dude. watch it blossom to the where you're on fucking MMA, yeah, and yeah. you have the main center section of the octagon was, with it, Muscle Farm on it. That's your baby, and now you don't want to be a part of it because it grows so big that you just don't like I the didn't way. Be. I didn't like it's the totally way. It's totally crazy. I didn't like the way straight up. I didn't like the way some people were being treated. I didn't yeah. like some of the financial stuff that was happening. It just didn't line up with me. Yeah. And I, I got up every day, Matt, to you know make things right with people that had invested into it and mm-hmm. and been to help me and all those things. And I busted my ass. I answered every tweet. Did all these programs. Like the things that I built socially for yeah. that brand were some of the most elite stuff that's ever been done in the supplements, to be mm-hmm. straight with you. And and it worked at a crate. I mean, I had 150 million page views on bodybuilding.com. Yeah, it's insane. And did you know all those interviews with Arnold and the Squat Every Day stuff and these things that exploded, Matt. Yep. And so, like, I wasn't valued from board of directors and all these things that you don't really deal with when yeah. your company's like four to 10 yeah. million, but when it's that big, yeah. you do. And I just, I literally got up one day and I told my wife, I said, and this is like eight years of pouring everything in my Oh, yeah, I, I know. I mean, that's just crazy. And I just said, you know what? I think I'm done today. Yeah. And she goes, hey, I mean, you ain't steered us wrong yet. So if you think you're done and it's time. And I just literally called. And, and the office was in Denver. And I still lived here. Yeah. I just called her and I said, you know what? Shit just ain't lining up no more. I'll take my percentage um, of, of stock and, and I'll Bounce. tell me whatever time, you know, I got to hold on to it. And I just, I need to do something else. Yeah. And it was funny because my, uh, my father-in-law, he's like, so you just kind of like called and said, like, quit paying you? I was like, yeah, pretty much. I was like, it's just time for me to do something else. I, I've, I've amassed enough skills. I know what I would never do again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And things I would do again. Yeah. And these people that have followed me. Yeah. And I, I just don't. Th- I just don't think else. people would ever be in a position to have a, bu- a business built that big and then have the sack to just completely pull away and go do something completely different. That's just fucking badass. Thanks, man. man. It, it because really I think was. everybody else would feel stuck and stuck. I well, and or, I did. I did feel stuck. And here's what I here's what I'm not willing to do. I'm not willing to hate my life. Yeah. It's just not. It's too I'm fucking, fucking short. Dude, I'm just a fucking, I almost like am a fucking brat about it in a yeah. way. Because I like, I understand that it's mine and and I'm not scared to hang myself out. It's just like lifting, wait, I, I had this great talk with AJ Roberts one time. AJ um, was there whenever I'd go to Westside and he said to me, man, I really want to have my own business and this and that. And he said, but um, you know, I'm so secure in my job. I said, AJ, it's like never taking a fucking PR, bro. Yep. So you're just gonna go and lift the same fucking squat every time? Mm-hmm. Or are you gonna go fucking? Pee? This is the same shit. Yeah. You got to go to the unseen. You don't know what's there. Right. But the path you can see. You got to be able to see through the trees. And I just believe that I could start a, a membership website with the amount of people that have known me and and had really good progress with my training. Yeah. I knew that I could have a non-compete and eventually yeah. I, I would go direct to customer. I didn't want to deal with retail. Mm-hmm. So I knew what I wanted to do. And one of the things I was real proud of is I signed with Reebok right out. Reebok yeah. gave me an endorsement contract because those shoes, I had yellow lifters in the yep. Squat Every Day program, did 50 million page views. Yep. I was selling lifters to guys that and did you know, an Olympic You lift. know, I never really had any personal uh, connection with Reebok other than through Mark Bell. Yeah. You know, I'm sponsored with Slingshot, so I can get whatever Absolutely. I want from there. And they'll send me Reeboks occasionally. But that's why I'm always such a big proponent of people supporting Reebok when they yeah. can. Because Reebok's the only fucking shoes 
that's ever tried to give back to lifting. Yeah, dude. Tried to sponsor it people that awesome. are into ultra fitness. All the yeah. rest of it's bullshit. Yeah. Like they really have never tried anything for serious lifters. No, dude. Re Reebok's one, in my opinion, one of the top shoe companies just because of the balls they've had to create those kind of shoes. Absolutely. I've never watched a basketball you, game you where it blew out the side and almost injured yeah. one of the most important <laughs> yeah. basketball players yeah. in the country. Reebok, Reebok showed me love, man. So like, you know, you think about um, like my wife got her master's degree in education. She was a teacher. She was, you know, she did that for a few years and my Reebok contract was, you know, bigger than she ever made as a, with her degree and all these things. And it's like, she was like, that's fucked up. The I'm value like, of it. But I know. it's unbelievable that they would show a lifter love like that. And I, yeah, I was like, yep. we were tripped out by it yep. and blessed because it was just, I'm walking out of a situation where I'm limited to what I yep. can do. So I was able to start Core G Fitness and I was able to sign with Reebok and then I couldn't start Max Effort for like nine or 10 months. But to right. me, so they had that, that, they had that set up kind of like with the strength coach does. So did Muscle Farm give you like um, a certain buy time where you couldn't really start up anything yeah. new for a while? It said, and I, and I, and I, I'm just a guy who follows the rules for the yep. most part. I like to break a lot of them when I know. Yeah. But when it comes to that kind of shit, I was like, you know, I could only talk to Arnold about certain things because he was still involved for a little while yeah. longer. I couldn't do um, I couldn't do any supplements, and I just flew yeah. by what I said. And then, yeah. and then when I when I brought everything out, then it went really well. So can you that's go cool. back? Can you go back for a moment? What, what did it feel like the moment you got off the phone with them? What did you feel like in that moment after you talked to them and told them I'm done? Yeah, you know what? It was. Um, it's gotta be like a like a stale point for a baby. There's like a there's like a there's like a week that was in um I wanna say morning, but yeah. that's kinda what it felt yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because dude, to build something like that, you got it's extremely stressful. A lot of people don't understand like this is why, like, I deal with some shit nowadays. It's, like, some chump shit, to be honest with you. Like, I don't even, like, stress it out. Yeah. But I'm dealing with, like, owing people, like, seven, 800000 and you're raising money, and then you're selling a million dollars a debt. Like, dude, it's, like, at an entirely different level, right? That I yeah. can never – you can't even explain it to anybody no. until you experience it. Yeah. And so when I was doing stuff like that, and, and, and really the – the real problem was we were trying to be a half – we were trying to be a billion-dollar company. Yeah. So when you're pushing on a gas like that, Eventually, you have to pull back the reins at the right time, and that those executive team and me included, we didn't do that at the right time. So we made some, you know, and it wasn't all entirely my decision, but we made some mistakes to where Muscle Farms' growth was starting to slow, but we were still spending. So that business, if you if you stack that business up, even though I sold a half a billion dollars in supplements, which is wild to even say, and you stack it up against my direct to customer business, this one's more successful. Mm -hmm. Now. Maybe not as many people know about it, but if you look at a balance sheet, it's way more successful by percentage-wise. Yeah. yeah, but but my thing was is like, I wanted to say one motherfucking time, bro. Yeah, I'm gonna throw them fucking dice off the wall, and I'm gonna try to be the fucking biggest and baddest motherfucker, yep. just like you was in powerlifting, yep. and go for it all. <clears throat> and you, some say it works, some. But say you know it what? Work. You can't. You, I don't think you can sit back and be completely satisfied. With your life, if you don't push the gas 100 miles an hour, at least for a while in something. Oh, yeah. Like, and you know, I, I think so many people go to the fucking nursing home depressed because they look back and go, man, if I just gave that 100 miles an hour for a couple more years, what would it have been? And I never wanted that to look back and I'm do that. I'm not willing to have regret. People man. like, oh, Matt, are you, are, you know, I've been semi retired. I still train like a fucking idiot, but semi retired <laughs> for a year and forever. a half, right? <laughs> and they're like, man, don't you miss like pushing the numbers? I'm like, dude, I pushed my body to the limit for 16 years. I was top five in the world for 16 years. Yeah. Like, people don't realize, like, dude, like, I gave it all I had. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of relaxation. 
probably like you had with Muscle Farm, yeah. where you knew you threw everything you had at it, and, it's, and it did what it did, and that's what it is. And, and, and honestly, you know? uh, to back to your question, I think I had about a week where, and, and you know, I'm really good friends with Maurice Claret, so Maurice has had, I mean, an amazing amount of adversity. Right now, he's built a multi-million dollar business. He's on my podcast, Business and Biceps, with me, him and John Fosco, and I was like, I used to, I was just relying on Mo. I'd hit him up like, Mo, so he's like, look, bro, He's like, this is, it. and Arnold said the same thing. I had breakfast with Arnold. He said, it's all how you stand back up, man. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, this was the right decision. You knew it was right. Yep. 100%. He's like, it's all how you stand back up. And even guys like O'Hearn, when they saw me back at the Arnold, I was, I've only missed the Arnold one year since 99. Yeah. Because I had to non-compete. I didn't have a home. Right. Yeah. And when he saw me again, I could see the respect. Yep. This motherfucker's back. Yep. And, and it's a staying power. Like, this isn't by accident. This isn't my fucking hobby. This yep. is what I do. And you're like I am. Like, you can earn my respect when you've been around for 20 years. Yeah. You've been around for 20 years and done cool shit up and down yeah. for 20 years. Now I think now I think you know your shit. And, and I you know feel I mean? like that's Business-wise, lifting-wise. And that's what started to happen, Matt, which yeah. feels good because I never really was looking for that. This is just, it's really what I do. Yeah. <laughs> and now you can be comfortable with it. I, and I am comfortable with it. And I think that now the amount of teaching from in the gym and outside the gym that I'm giving to the guys that are at my spot mm-hmm. and on the internet, man, it's, it's really rewarding. Yeah. Bro. What are, uh, what are some of the lessons you learned from your time or with muscle farm, mm-hmm. good or bad that I, you've been able to take and bring into max effort and your other endeavors that you're in now? I think that the one main thing was, I don't think that I had the confidence from the big number standpoint early enough. So I would like sit back and not like, and hesitate. Up if I knew, yeah, different than in the weight room like you know i would be like ah fuck it you want to do it so i think that um i wish i would have like spoke up a little bit more like no that fucking that ain't right Mm -hmm. you know and i think that um now i don't hold back at all i have a great business john fosco who i met in when he he ran all my marketing in the ufc at muscle farm i was his main client yep um he did us safe auto xbox he basically had 40 guys under contract he was a monster so he ran all the muscle farms budget and so we worked together for like seven or eight years and always really well and so like when um we decided to partner up and do some ventures together and and the other thing is his financial discipline was just so much better than other people I worked with. Like I bought into the crazy too to try to be to blow this thing up to be crazy. But it's like um, I just think I understood, you know, that I need to speak up more. I need to rely on what my intuition is because I've, it's always it's usually right. Your gut feeling's right. And um, just ask more questions, you know, and not and not take a back seat when you know there's no reason. What would happen with me, and I'm sure you've ran into this, Matt, when you're a muscle guy or muscle head, or people look at you like that. I'm dealing with these Wall Street cats. They don't show me no love. They went yeah. to Cornell. They think, but they never even sniffed the The only thing that gave me a little bit of clout was having a master's. Yeah, you see, know, and see, that, I don't have that. So that, that at least you could you yeah. rely on that. So these motherfuckers go to Cornell. They never built a business, even hit a million dollars before, mm-hmm. but they think that they can advise. I'm like, motherfucker, you ain't even sniffed what I did. Yeah. And so that that yeah. that dynamic was a little tough Well, you know, me. the thing of it is, I think with that situation is there's only, there's not one thing. Like you could have a high level degrees and that's great. But if you're not super strong, you may not know the fitness industry that well. No. So it's going to give you a huge, you got to have a rounded base. You got to have a little bit of education. You got to have a yeah. lot of in the gym experience. You got to have a lot of business sense. Yeah. You got to be able to follow your gut and take risks. Like but all I, those things are huge. And I think probably one of my, people ask me a lot of time how I created uh, this much pop around my businesses. I've competed in something every year, multiple times a year since I was 17. Mm-hmm. So I'd go from powerlifting meet to bodybuilding show. And think about it, that's 23 shoot. years now. There you go. So, so I'm always training for something. Yeah. Still, I'm always training for something. Yeah, so that, I've always got something to talk about. That's a level of respect that I think people need. To, you just have to earn over time. 
You know, and I think that's the biggest problem with guys that are younger than us is they don't want to have the patience to put in the time. And then that's where you get the respect. They want to be IG famous at 23, bro. Yeah. You know, we, me and me and we just did that podcast with Panora. Yeah. And we just talked about that's how much different it is bro. now, you know, and how guys will do two meets and now all of a sudden they're fucking powerlifting experts. And I'm like, dude, like, no, you're not, you're not, you don't know shit until 20 years. Yeah. I don't feel like I had a grasp and maybe you can shed some light on this, but I don't feel like I had a real grasp of how to work out until I was almost out of my prime where I had learned every bit of my mistakes from the time I, I did my first bench press meet at 13. That's awesome. And I did my last powerlifting meet at 38. And I felt like at 35, 36, yeah. I had it fucking dialed. But that's when I was hitting 2205 raw, squatting two world records and just sleeves. But I figured out how to recover from it. Yeah. And that's where I really realized was, is the training is such a process that the reason nobody will ever figure out how to truly train the smartest possible is you don't stay in your prime for 75 years. Yeah. If you yeah. stayed 30 years old for 75 years, you would, yeah. you would make all the mistakes you could make and then prime it. Because it's going to take you 20 to figure it out. Now, where that 20 starts is going to depend if you're 50 or if you're 40 or if you're 35, yeah. right? So when do you feel like you had a good grasp with your team yeah. on how to apply the right methods to get them better? Honestly, Matt, it's right now, yep. which is funny. Because, and you're 40. And I'm 40. Because yep. here's what I noticed, right? This is the leanest, the heaviest, and the, and the strongest I've ever been. Mm -hmm. And some of these guys that lift with me now, they started following my workouts in eighth grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now they're 23. Isn't that fucked up? Unbelievable, People are like, oh, bro. man, I used to read about your stuff as a kid. And I'm like, when? Like, when I got out of college, like, oh, yeah, six? exactly. It doesn't seem that long ago. But then you think about it, it's like 14 years ago. That's what I'm saying. So I've got, so I've had a base of these guys training a little bit of West Side, a little bit of 1970s bodybuilding. They have great bases, then they come in here and yeah. then it's that intangible atmosphere that they're not, you know, like the one kid was getting ready to take 425. It's like, motherfucker, take 440. You just smoke showed 405, fuck all that. Mm -hmm. And dude, the other dude's like, G says, take the weight, take the fucking weight. Yeah. Like that's, the guys aren't pushed like this. Yeah. That's the environment you grew up in once you got up here, but that's not, and you have here, but that's, I mean, a lot that's of times, not fucking normal. Yeah, a lot though. of times Chuck and George, when you put weight on the bar, you didn't know what it was. Yeah, they just dude. based it on what it looked like. That's what I said. Just there wasn't a lifting. pound. There wasn't a pound number. If you took 405 and was like, boom, yeah. they're putting 500 on there. It's not like, oh, let's try 425 for a PR. They don't even care what your PR is. No. Like, this is your new PR, <laughs> motherfucker. You and know I what I mean? And I think that, that's obviously not normal. Yeah. And so that's the, and I got to experience a little bit of that. So I'm trying yeah. to create that in my own way. And it's making these guys. And so what we've been doing, and I think you'll be interested in this. So. What I've found in the last eight weeks that's worked unbelievable, and it, it, the whole crew's hit multiple PRs, is we, you know, we squat five times a week. Mm -hmm. to, uh, Which is insane. Yeah. Now, so, from, my, from my experience, like, I, I, don't, I would <laughs> I never recover from it, but, but I know what you I'm going to tell you how mean. we do it, though. So, the total volume is not as crazy, because when people think that, they think, well, you're doing some crazy, insane Tom Platt's workout. Yeah. But we might only take four singles. Yeah. And so it's like a variation yeah. every day. So we do. You're talking like you're talking like maybe 65, 70 percent. No, it's, it's 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 whatever you got. But it's I, I program belt, I program wraps, I program bands, I program. So it's it changes. So okay. we have we have five variations. Okay. We do four four front squats to one back squat. Wow. All right. So the first four. See, days, I've never really heard of that. Uh, yeah, other than I, from Olympic lifting. I'm pretty sure I, I like created my own version based off what John Bros taught me from okay. Abijayev. I think his name was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's the other thing is I learned off John too. I went to Vegas and, and spent some time with him. Yeah. And and so basically, because I wanted to learn the Bulgarian system from somebody who lived with one of the motherfuckers. Yeah. And so John uh, helped me a lot with that. So I took what I saw you guys do at West Side and what I've seen the conjugate method in general, and I said, and this is really what changed a lot for me. 
I was really kind of stuck at a certain point. I had done the normal protocols and kind of yeah. got, and I was like, you know what? I need some shit that's kind of crazy. And I always like testing myself on that shit. So I just, I squatted every day for like three years yeah. and did all these different variations. And what I come down to is like, you know, we'll take, um, before we pull on Mondays, we'll take um, a front squat, one second pause. Okay. Sometimes you feel like a fucking boss, sometimes you don't. The next day um, we'll do, we did a, this this phase, we're doing a five second front squat pause. Okay. Then Wednesday- So we'll you're, changing, a, you're changing the mode. Every day. Yep. And then on Wednesday, cause you can only build up to so much on a five second count sitting in the hole, bro. Well, yeah. And then on Wednesday we'll take a back squat. Yeah. It's gonna up. cut, it's gonna cut you down to 50% of your strength. Exactly. That's but you did key. that because you changed the mode and the time under tension. You got it. And yeah. then on Thursdays, we'll come back to like a three count eccentric and then boom. And then on Fridays, we do a front squat straight bar weight. Gotcha. So here's what I started doing is I started waving 200 pounds of bands for a week, 300 pounds of bands for a week, 400 pounds of bands for a week. So these motherfuckers, I mean, I made a 10 and a five on the four band front squat at a five count pause. Wow. And it was everything I could do, Matt, and walking it out too. Mm -hmm. We are not doing them on the monolift. Yeah, yeah. So my people on my website can mimic it. And right. I use doubled up mini bands because that's the easiest. Yeah, that's the hardest part is trying to explain to people that you can still do what we do out of a monolift out of a rack. So I started showing it that way and I use mini bands because of that. So mm -hmm. I do doubled up mini bands. So it's like one set, two sets, or say two, three, and four sets. And dude, I'm telling you, I'm guessing on the band tension, but I know it's heavier than 400 because I unracked that bitch. It, it, it yeah. punched you in the face. So oh, I, yeah. So the kid that made a plate last week at four, four, four bands, he's the one that squatted 440. Mm -hmm. the, my, my best 181s, Zach Matheny, who's a local trainer down here, he, um, he pulled 650 raw like it was an empty bar. Mm -hmm. and he could, and he, well, and I think he the, big, squat the big power that you've learned to tap into is that the bar teaches you to control a different level of kinetic energy. Yes. And then the band tension, because it's elastic, is way different acting to the muscle than straight weight. So when you do straight weight, you actually have gravity to beat only. Whereas in bands, you yeah. have to beat elasticity, which is way different. And if four days a week, you're getting punched in the fucking face. Mm -hmm. And every time we go wave back the two bands, the bar weight is just getting higher and higher. And when I have, you know, man, I not everybody made their weights today, but I had like eight guys try over 405 on a front squat today. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that's like, and I remember some of these dudes couldn't front squat 275. Yeah, so you figured out a way to maintain law of specificity, but you change it by changing band tensions and tempos with law of accommodation. And it. now you have the blending, the and, blending and ability from it. and you can recover from it. So I'll go and, you know, squat five days a week and I lunge 800 meters every day. Yeah. That's my GPP. So I'm on day 197. I'll, I'll hit the hundred mile mark in three days. Wow. And so what I was telling these guys before we got on is right now in the next 30 days, I'll clip my all time numbers at 81 mm -hmm. at 40 years old Yep. with all that. So, and Tommy, uh, um, Tommy from West side, I forget his last name, the Irish dude. Oh, what I, helps Louie. He yeah. hit me up the other day. He goes, have you ever counted? See, I don't do things like you guys do them. So he said, have you ever counted your total volume? Mm -hmm. And I said, no. Well, I did. It was 211,000 <laughs> on Monday. That's fucking, <laughs> that's fucking retarded. <laughs> I knew you. And so I he has was, the most extreme volume I've ever heard of. You know, because, he literally should be in a casket. So my, so my lunge volume is about, it's about 650 reps a day. Mm -hmm. How long do you think it took you to build up that work capacity though? Because I think people listening to this, you know, your normal kid's going to go, well, I'm 18. I'll just start, I'll start from there. Yeah. So well, here's what's funny about that is, is people will go out and be like, oh yeah, I'll just take out a lap and they get the 200 meters and they're fucking blown. Yeah. Right. The funny thing is to get to 400 because I was, I'm a decent athlete and yeah. I, had de you know, I, I'd squatted. And like, you carry zero body fat. Yeah. Maybe so that like helps seven too. or eight probably or nine. But at the, at that point, I think I was doing 400 for a while. Then I waited 400 
And then I started, I really started to understand that when I would do normal conditioning, get ready for bodybuilding events, yeah. I just looked so stringy because I'm already kind of a taller dude. Yeah. Right? So when I started doing lunges, I just noticed I looked denser and it count and it just transferred so over. So do you think, do you think if somebody wanted to start that type of cycle that you're doing, do you think that a two to four year um, progression point is probably what it's going to take to be able to withstand that volume? I think in recover and be like normal. Yeah. I don't know. I think it depends on the athlete. Yeah. It depends on. So here's what I always think too. Depends on the other factors, stressors, sleep. the food, the sleep. Yeah. And so I think that, and I kind of cheat the sleep thing a little bit just because I think everything else is so lights out. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like I'm like a Petri dish Yeah. because as like you, I'm so, and that's why yeah. I, when I worked with Serrano and Mario Di Pasquale, they loved it because mm -hmm. they would send me a protocol. Mm -hmm. They knew they were going to get back real shit and they didn't me. have to worry about the variables and this is where everybody there fucks up go. we write programs for people you write programs for people it's really the magic is outside those other 23 <laughs> hours of yeah. what are are you recovering and are you pouring water on the plant or are you setting it in a fucking desert and most people are setting it in a desert and they think all the magic is in the yeah. volume and then the and it's really not it's all yeah. in the other uh, intangibles i'll tell you what's interesting is about the essential daily conjugate squats which i'm only doing them five days a week i'm taking the weekends off squatting but still lunging yeah at this point in my career my metabolism is by far the fastest of my life now i used to take the weekends off of lunging and when i kind of cut that and really where that came from was that was i was dodging gpp stuff and my weight was up a little bit and I was just like, you know, what am I, what, and I try to look at my life like this. I'm like, yeah. what am I, what should I be doing that's hard that I don't want to do that is, it got me too comfortable because once again, when you get to a certain level, you got to play these mind games yep. on yourself to push yourself. And I realized I was like, eh, I'm doing 400, three, four days a week. 800 is the magic. Yep. And do day five. I couldn't, I was so embarrassed how sore I was. I couldn't even fucking get out of my car, man. <laughs> I mean, it was, We've all been there. oh, dude, was, I'm, I'm like, it Just was unbelievable. Brutal. Man. But day 90, 197 today, um, and, and I told myself, if I can make 100 miles, I think all my numbers will come back. I think I'll be as lean as, you know, for marketing as I need to be. And I think that people, all my people will get better results if they fucking get onto mm -hmm. it. And, and all those things have happened. So give us an idea of what time you go to bed. Mm -hmm. What time you go to bed? Uh, so the earliest I go to bed is nine. Okay. The latest is ten thirty. Okay. So you get so, to bed pretty so early. So I literally try to listen to myself on what is happening. Yeah. I have three children, business, five businesses. What if if I'm feel like last night I got home from Nashville. Um, I drove six hours yesterday. I told my wife it was like eight forty five. I'm like toast. I'm toasted. I'm like yeah. if I'm if I'm going to get up and train tomorrow mm -hmm. and, and be effective at this, yep. I, I just got to go to bed. I'll spend yep. some time with you tomorrow and yep. you know, so I try to do my best on that, but if I cheat at the 10:30 too often, I pay for it. Yep. I think I get we up all three, like that. I get up at 3. And a lot of that's five. because we talk about that Charles Poliquin used to my mentor used to talk about that a lot. Smart was dude. every hour of sleep you get before midnight is twice as recuperative as after. But you don't really get the big hormone push for recovery mm -hmm. if you're not in REM sleep by 1 a.m., which means you need to be in bed by 10. So see, you figure that out without even, I'm maximizing, you know. and so that's what's interesting about me is because I'm my application shit's so dialed in. Yeah. I don't really know a lot of the reasons why some of it works, I just know it does. Right. And, and the average public, some people care and some people don't care. Yeah. They just say, I wanna do this and I need this. No one else can teach it to me. And so literally a lot of my successes come on because of my own self. Yeah, and your and structure. And obviously there's variables to other people that, mm -hmm. because there's, they're different, but the average guy that follows me, that comes to me for advice, 
is um, a dude that's trying to drop 20. Yep. Wants to deadlift, you know, 500. Yep. And wants to find a way to maintain it all year round. Yep. And that that's where my sweet spot is. Yeah. So give us an idea of what your let's say what your average diet looks like from when you wake up to go to sleep. What do you what do you so, that is the one thing I have to kind of hold back on because that's my main sauce for my website. Oh, okay. But, no, but here's what I'll tell you though: the <clears throat> when this is where it came from. So I created this thing called anabolic fasting. Yep. And what happened was people, you know, Twitter is where I got popular at originally because I would always answer people back. All these motherfuckers were asking me about intermittent fasting, and dude, I've been following five meals a day right for 15 years. I'm like, that shit's fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but people kept asking me, kept asking me, and I was like, you know what? I was like. Let me fucking give it a try. I'm just not going to tell anybody. I'll just yeah. test it out. Because that's how I did everything else. Right. But by default, I ate similar to how I learned from Mario. And there's a lot of... The anabolic diet is a lot of the basis of it. Mm-hmm. But all the dairy and all the sugar-free stuff and a lot of stuff that Mario used, and it's got a little outdated. I had to make some changes. And so I, I put together a fasting protocol that a high fat, had some had some insulin spikes and some things that... Yep. Similar to kefir stuff a little bit. Mm-hmm. But a lot of my own, I call them Corey G. Twist. And I just... Was was fucking around. I was like 210 when I started fucking around with it. And then it was like, before you know it, I was like 185. And, and I was like eating chips on the weekend. I was like drinking beer. And I was like, and the shit that was happening, like I wasn't losing track. I was still making progress. And I was like, started doing some more research, started asking Serrano some stuff. And, uh, and I was like, man, if I can get this motherfucker wound right, this shit's a wrap. Mm-hmm. And, and I could feel as an older guy like my hormones were up I call it bird dogging like you know and you're like looking at your wife every fucking second you know and I was like man my testosterone feel this is all internal stuff yeah yeah yeah. but I went and got my blood work done last year and I have heart disease in my family Mm -hmm. so I was just checking but like my testosterone was like I mean nothing crazy like right around 500 still good though for 40 exactly and um and just the and with all the volume uh that I was doing um my cortisol wasn't that high and I had figured out this way to really keep my body fat low, still not be a fucking idiot in public, and, and not carry my meals everywhere. Yeah. And um, but that so is like kind of the secret sauce of why people come to Corey G Fitness. They learn that and they do the program. Makes and, sense. And and that's and, and honestly, so it gives them ability. So the Corey, you would say the Corey G Fitness like nutrition protocol is how to be functional in public. Yes. But still gain the the advantage that you want in looks and performance. Because I drink beer every Friday, Saturday. If I don't have competition coming up. And I get to eat tacos and fucking wings every yeah. week. And <laughs> Sounds dude, amazing. Most guys, most guys, here's what, this is what, for my, my demo, most guys can follow a diet like that, but they have to have something there that they can rely on. Like, you know what? I can go with my buddies and fucking hammer yeah. beers down. And so in college kids, so yeah, it, it's, it's worked really well, That's man. pretty impressive, man. So I Yeah, think, and I'll break it down to you off yeah, camera. Pe- <laughs> yeah, people need to go onto your website though and check that Appreciate out because that. that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's cool. Well, I think we, I mean, there's got a lot of information. Like I said, this has been awesome. You don't get to hang out with too many people to get to do business deals with Arnold and, you know, get to run a half a billion dollar business and likes to lift weights. Yeah, Corey, can you give us a rundown of where people can find you, what they should look at, the websites, all that? Absolutely. Uh, MaxEffortMuscle.com is the supplements uh, that we're selling now, which is unbelievable. We, I I brought some to Matt. We sell, we, uh, we deliver to your door in a burlap sack, which is fucking dope. The burlap sack is badass. (laughs) And so uh, maxeffermuscle.com for supplements now and coregfitness.com for um, for any of my training protocols like the band stuff we mm-hmm. just talked about or the anabolic fasting. And then Old School Gym is my local business 
which is um, you know been ranked in the top you know hardcore gyms around. It's a lot of fun, which we need to get Matt up there next, yeah. which would be a lot. So of fun. So what we're gonna do is here in the next, I'd say month or so, when the Arnold cools off. Yes. We're gonna get. I'll get my fucking lazy ass up and come in at a four a.m. But we'll do the four a.m. here. Yeah. No. So I haven't well, asked for you. That was one of the things when I come down here. Like what I think I could use help with, and that's why I texted you about learning from you because I, I want to take every advantage. Is yeah. I got these guys are getting ready to ascend to the next level. Yeah. And if I have somebody with your knowledge can watch a squat session and say hamstrings glutes yeah back and and yeah. and help me assess yeah. where these guys is accessories and that's where i think people miss out so much is that the ability to assess someone's lifts and know where their weaknesses are yes. they're worth their weight in gold especially if they know what the fuck they're talking about because there's only a handful of dudes in the country that really know yes. what they're saying and i know you do so i'm going to yeah. take full advantage of that so i can learn also yeah. because i'm confident in it but not but i but having a second opinion i'll give you a hint that, you can take somebody and block their whole body out and watch their foot. Really? Yeah, and I'll tell you off camera. All right, perfect. But, I love it. But foot, <laughs> yes. but foot pressure tells you everything of what's going on with the deadlift and the squat and exactly which muscle you're using at what time. So I can almost take somebody and block their whole body out and just watch their foot while they squat and tell you exactly what the rest of the chain's doing. It's the same thing in the bench. Whatever the hand's doing, everything else is either doing completely right or wrong. Interesting. Right? And so I think so that'll, that'll that. help take us, our guys to the next level. For sure. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me in. Yep. Man. So we'll talk to you guys later and um, take a look at Corey Gregory's stuff on his website and then go look at the other podcast we just shot with uh, Greg Penor. Thanks a lot. Yeah. That was cool. Brother. Thanks, man. Thank you once again for joining us here on the Winning Strength Podcast. Don't forget to check out winningstrength.com and winningstrengthmedia.com for all of your training needs. And while you're at it, subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you get a chance, give us a five-star review. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time on the Winning Strength Podcast.